0: Anytime I see a person of color accepting limitations, I always kind of wonder, like, how much of that is them feeling beaten down by what
1: they've seen versus what's actually like genuinely inside of their heart. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Bring Your Full Self, a podcast about the intersection of identity, creativity, and labor. My name is Amy Yoshitsu.
0: Hi, I'm Coral Martin. Thanks for having me.
1: Of course. I'm really excited about this episode. Not only does it dive into the artistic backgrounds of both you and Amaya Harrison, I love how it brings to the fore a lot of discussion about racial and gender issues and things that we discuss internally um, at a macro and micro scale.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree, Amy. It was really powerful to talk to Amaya. The amount of parallels in our lives was really striking. It's always meaningful to connect with other BIPOC creatives and compare notes.
1: Yeah, and I especially love the combination of photographer and dancer. I just think that's a really special um, interest that you both have, and also that you uh, have a lot in common, as people will hear when they listen to this podcast. It um, brought up also a lot of wonderful threads about travel, how nice. one's high school experience in younger years continue to contribute to their trajectory as adults, and about navigating artistic and personal relationships.
0: Yeah, I think that in talking to Amaya, who's also a fellow OSA grad, um, it was really, it was, I mean, it was striking for me as someone who, you know, I don't spend a lot of time reflecting on every choice I made in high school. Um, It was really, it was really fascinating to see that for both of us, choices we made at OSA really affected our trajectory as artists and just generally in our lives. The time we spent at OSA really shaped us. And so it was was really, for me, meaningful to to have that conversation because I don't really take a lot of time to reflect on that on a daily basis.
1: Awesome. And Coral, I know you have a lot going on and that you're juggling tons of projects. And I want to see what you've been up to since we recorded this and what's going on in your life, if you want to just briefly give us an update.
0: Oh, okay. So um, since recording this conversation, I started working um, for a school in Berkeley called Berkeley Ballet Theater as the, the director of the school, and um, it's been about four months that I've been in the role and definitely a ton of learning, a ton of uh, kind of adventure, <laughs> and I'm really excited to see what the, what the year what continues to, to bring and what unfolds as I grow in the new role.
1: Congratulations. <laughs> All those ballet kids are so lucky to have you. Uh, I know because you've been doing ballet in Berkeley for 3,000 years. Yeah, 3,000 yes. years. That's about <laughs> 3,000. Yeah. Yes, okay. So I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. And so without any further ado, uh, I hope people enjoy this conversation between Coral Martin and Amaya Harrison. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you.
0: Yay.
2: Um, where do we start? I
0: know. I mean, I really enjoyed reading your factoid sheet, but then I actually got nervous because I was like, how am I going to rein myself in? Because you are <laughs> just like so many interesting things have happened to you. So I, was, I didn't even quite know where to start. So, um, Yeah. No, do you have an idea?
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I totally
2: felt the same way. I was like, "Oh my gosh, Uh what an interesting like just background in general." But Uh I mean, I guess I do have some questions about um, Mm -hmm. like your background in ballet and um, how like was it was that something that I mean you were two, but was it (laughs) has it always been the passion of yours, or did that did that eventually just like grow since it's always been a part of your life?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think the reason that my first ballet class happened when I was two had everything to do with being a younger sister, and not mm. a lot with me being adamant about taking ballet classes when I was a toddler. I mm. think it was just, you know, my older sister was going to the classes um, on the weekend, and I think my parents couldn't leave their two-year-old at home. They didn't mm. want to get a babysitter, so it was kind of like, well, is there a class for two-year-olds so mm-hmm. that we can just like kind of drop them both off and you know, honestly, it's it's interesting because I feel like I have some distinct memories of some of my very early ballet classes. So maybe more like aged like three, four, mm. um, and I think even at that age, it kind of felt like um, it it did already kind of feel like a part of my identity just because it was this thing that I did regularly. I knew um, it was a space where I was going to kind of expand and grow, and I also had a lot of fun you know it it was it was this nice mixture of feeling challenged feeling like I was aiming for something that felt worthwhile so not just like I'm just being challenged and it's Mm -hmm. (laughs) painful and frustrating but Mm -hmm. kind of like oh the, the goal that I see ahead of me which at the time that I was like a little kid was just what my teacher was able to do feels uh almost magical like look at this person who's able to to uh Kind of harness their their human strength to create something that seems like more more than just human and I thought that was really fascinating and then on top of it because I was a little kid, you know they kind of build in games and um, I think because I started with those classes at such a young age, it did kind of integrate into like oh, this is part of who I am I'm a dancer and since um I don't really have strong memories of being like under two (laughs) all of my memories kind of have some um relationship to to dancing and so uh yeah i mean i think i i enjoyed it from the beginning i don't think there was ever a point where i felt like my parents were like coral you have to keep going i think i was pretty Mm. self-motivated even though they do tell me that because the earlier earliest classes i was taking like the little pre-ballet classes for babies, or on Saturday mornings, I think, um, I would not want to go because it was too early for me to wake up. And I tell them I I was like, I quit because I don't want to get out of bed. And they'd be like, you gotta go because you liked it so much last week. You were so happy afterwards. Don't you remember? And I just all I could think of, I can imagine because I'm still this way in the moment it was, like, the warmth of the sheets and just kind of, like, how relaxed I was. And I was, like, nothing could be better than this. Don't lie to me. I thought you loved me. You're my parents. This is this is horrible. And then I'd get out. I'd get, go to class. I'd love it. I'd feel all energized. And then, like, slowly over the week, I'd forget.
1: And then mm-hmm. i have to go through that cycle again.
0: So I do have to credit them for, like, helping me to continue at those early stages because I think after, after the beginning, it was pretty self-sustaining. But... Man, those little Saturday mornings.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. a lot of like motivation you have to harness, especially as a as a child to learn that so early. Like,
0: and I still haven't fully like mastered it, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it was it was a thing.
2: Um, wow. wow, that's so interesting. <laughs> and so when you talk about like the magic of ballet and like mm-hmm. you know creating something from. I guess like something physical from from nothing, I guess is that mm-hmm. something that has like influenced any other parts of your life?
0: Yeah, it's another really good question I, I i need to step up my game when it's my turn <laughs> no, <laughs> but um I mean, I think that just like any um any practice that requires you to continually hone your skills, so I think this is the case for basically any artist, any Mm -hmm. practitioner of something that kind of like uh, the product you have to externalize, which is everything. But um, (laughs) I feel like um, it did kind of teach me uh, a sense of humility in the face of hard work that Mm. really helped me to, to, um, to develop a sense of patience, a strong work ethic, and a kind of kind of the way to phrase this is a little bit escaping me but a kind of a way to kind of tamp down the ego in that Mm -hmm. in order to get to whatever your goal is no matter whether it's in the dance studio or if it's in an academic setting or even in the course of like a relationship there has to be a certain amount of dedication to like literally just the physical steps of getting to to your goal and you Mm -hmm. kind of have to extract your feelings about that Mm -hmm. (laughs) from the equation sometimes to really succeed or to really get get ahead. And so I think that was definitely something I struggled with, because when I would hit a wall in um, dance, sometimes it felt so, so um, deeply personal or deeply emotional and kind of like really rock my world because Mm because I had been dancing from such a young age, that was a big part of how I defined myself. Outside of my dance classes, like when I go to school or within my family, I think it was really important to me to see myself as like a ballet dancer. And so mm. when I was in spaces where it's like, okay, I'm trying to learn this step and I'm really struggling with it, that didn't, you know, something didn't work out. It felt like it was kind of rocking me to my foundation because I'm like, this is how I, I define myself. So I think learning to move through those moments where you really are struggling to, to move forward. Um, and just not take that personally and just do the work required to, to solve whatever the puzzle is or to realize, okay, maybe this is a challenge I can't surmount in the amount of time I've given myself and just kind of like plodding along and not making it into an emotional event, um, really helped me in other, other aspects of my life to kind of put things into perspective and to keep working through challenge instead of allowing it to paralyze me. Um, but I do think that in terms of a, in terms of like a daily practice where I'm always completely in sync with this way of being, like absolutely not. I just know it exists. <laughs> I don't always access it. <laughs> I often get emotional yeah. when I'm frustrated, but it's just helpful mm-hmm. to have seen time and time again in my dance training these moments where I was like, oh, this is really really hard. I don't think I'll ever do it. And then if I gave myself the five years to continually chip away at it, see like, oh, actually now this is very much attainable. Um, using those examples to to kind of remind myself in other parts of my life that sometimes things take time or your approach has to change and like it's okay (laughs) so yeah yeah
2: Yeah. wow that's huge I I mean it sounds like dance has taught you like so much um just like about life and like different aspects of life and like I feel like Mm. the whole lesson of um learning to kind of um I mean, emotionally detached sounds bad, but like emotionally detached from your challenges in, in order to like get to the next step is um, is so big and hard. And especially in art, since the two are so like intertwined, <laughs> emotion and art. And in mm-hmm. order to like grow, you sometimes have to detach from that. That's That's really interesting.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm curious. I know, you know, you've been involved in, in photography for many years when that spark kind of ignited for you what was the if you maybe it was many different things but can you kind of pinpoint a moment where it was really clear to you that that was a direction that you wanted to move in artistically
2: yeah my mom was um really adamant about just exposing me to like as much as possible and she mm. um I mean, that's, that's why I ended up going like auditioning for Oakland School for the Arts. And she just wanted Mm. me to like get into music or something that would like, like take me out of Oakland and like to see the world and um, Mm. in some way or form. And she was just like, she was very supportive and I'm super lucky for that. And somehow she like, um, she found this deal for like a super cheap camera. And, um, and then I just started, I just started like taking pictures everywhere. And like, um, I think it recorded video too so I would like do little videos with my friends and I was like 12 and um it's it just kind of it kind of stuck from there because it was just it was just like a fun little thing to do in like 2007 <laughs> and um and it yeah it's just like that's I think that's how I um found it because I just I would keep it with me wherever I went and um even though I was doing music and I did music for a long time um that was always that was always kind of where my heart really was. And then um, in 10th grade, I um, auditioned to go to this, um, this summer school, this art summer school for video. And I think I feel like that kind of solidified it even more because I learned way more than I think that was my first like actual video class or photo mm-hmm. video class. Um, and it just kind of like just opened, opened my eyes to just the, the whole world of um, photo and video. And then they added a um, digital media department at OSA um, and I was like, okay, I'm definitely switching to that. And it just, it just grew from there. Amy mentioned that you also went to Oakland school for the arts. Is that true?
0: I did. I went to OSA. So I think that, um, I'm not exactly sure what our age difference is, but I I missed you because I'm a little older, (laughs) but um, I went, when it started. So the first year that OSA was in operation was 2002 and that was my freshman year of high school. And I just mm-hmm. remember, um, it was, I mean, at, at that age, I was already very serious about, um, dance and I, I knew mm-hmm. that I wanted to dance professionally. And that was pretty much, that was very solid in terms of a goal at that age. Mm. But I also I mean, I really love to draw. I've always loved drawing. And Mm. um, I just love the idea of having access to all these different forms of artistic um, training. Mm -hmm. So even though I was like very adamant that, okay, yes, I want to be a professional dancer, it wasn't to the exclusion of these other uh, ways of being artistic that appealed to me. Um, I also really like to write. There are all of these things that I was kind of like, yeah, mm-hmm. oh, it would be great to mm-hmm. have it. Continue to have outlets for this and have training.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, so actually, I think when I when I auditioned for OSA, I auditioned both for the dance department and also the visual art um, mm-hmm. department. And so um, I kind of went in with this kind of like dual identity, just like it sounds like you had as well, where you started out in music and then decided to move on mm-hmm. to the um, digital media department Mm -hmm. is that what it's called
2: yeah that's what it's called
0: okay um and I think that that uh that was really interesting just because I felt like it gave me this more kind of broad experience of of being in the school because I started out the first year I believe I was the full first year I was in the dance department Mm -hmm. and then I was actually only at OSA for two years. I switched after um, sophomore year to Berkeley Independent Study, mm. but in my second year of being at OSA, I moved over to the art department, and I think that just feel, felt like a really um, uh, kind of in sync with what I needed at that age. But also just true to the to the <laughs> to the fact that you know at that point in your life, I think it's really important to be able to be flexible with with what you're interested in. And I think it was really healthy for me to like go into the um, art department because I was Mm -hmm. leave OSA and I would dance for another like three or four hours, sometimes five hours after school. So Mm -hmm. having that year where I was training um, in the visual art department was a really nice balance. The first year was just too much because it's like I'd be at school dancing and then I'd go to my ballet school and Mm -hmm. dance for several hours and then I'd spend the summers dancing. And it was just like, I need to do something else. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so... So yeah, so I, I really enjoyed my time at OSA, but because it was brand new, I think there were still a lot of things that were in flux, and they were still yeah. kind of figuring out their identity, whether or not they'd actually survive, all of these things. <laughs> we were still in the basement of the Malonga Cascalord Center uh-huh. at that time. It was still called the Alice Art Center.
2: Yeah.
0: Um. So we didn't even have a permanent home, and teachers were in and out because it was in flux. I think there are a lot of teachers who kind of felt like, I think, you know, not sure about the longevity of the school. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of, there was a lot of, um, kind of shift from month to month, semester to semester, year to year. And it did feel kind of destabilizing. And so that on top of the fact that the, some of the kind of academic, um, like they weren't meeting California standards across the board. So some of the classes yeah. were like great. And then other ones, for example, science, we didn't have a dedicated like lab, obviously. So I couldn't take any lab science classes, which mm-hmm. was a requirement to get into um, college. And I was like, well, I want to go to college, <laughs> like, or at least have the option to go to college. And I don't want yeah. that to be um, a determining factor, just that like this school doesn't have a like a lab space. Mm-hmm. And so Um, so I did decide to leave largely for academic reasons. I felt like my, my artistic training was really awesome. I was, I was really happy to be exposed to the different, um, teachers and classmates that I was exposed to. But yeah, I I was worried that I'd go to apply to colleges and they'd be like, what were you doing? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, so that's why I left OSA. Um, Mm -hmm. But they're really, really wonderful and formative years. I still am really close to some of my friends that I met at OSA. Um, so yeah, I feel very proud mm-hmm. to to say that I went there, but obviously mm-hmm. it's very different from someone who's gone more recently after the school, I think has become a lot more um, solid yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> has a, a really strong <laughs> reputation like someone who's gone for a full four years. like it's that's not the experience I had, but I, I am mm-hmm. proud to say. I have an affiliation
2: yeah definitely like you were part of the the like OG crowd in the Alice Arts Center oh Oh, my gosh I can't imagine (laughs) like I was there when they when they were in the portables in that little parking lot and I know what you're talking about with the like they're still forming like sometimes we didn't have a spanish teacher like people were just like going crazy in the portables and it was like (laughs) very disorganized but like you know the vision was there Mm -hmm. and like the the passion was there and like the the amazing artists were there and just like you know just like catering to um you know the youths of oakland like creatively was like it's it was really amazing. Um I think they got it together a lot more when, once they moved into the Fox and right. um I've heard things now like I think the culture has changed a lot um
1: mm-hmm.
2: since like I graduated it's just kind of shifted but um I don't I don't really know. I'm not really that that close to things anymore but like I've heard things mm-hmm. here and there and like some of the people from my grade are trying to like get back into into administration so that they can like keep it the way you know the original vision the way it was supposed to be Mm. um Mm. but it's just interesting like to to hear the stories of like the different phases of osa because they definitely has (laughs) shifted a lot (laughs) for sure
0: for sure it's i mean i i feel like i'm probably even further from what the current iteration of the school looks like um Mm -hmm. that i do Mm -hmm. we have students that i'm teaching um Like ballet classes too who go to osa
2: Mm. and it's always funny Mm. because
0: they're they have their like osa jackets and like all of this gear and i'm like we were lucky to just like (laughs) make it through the day how how are
2: how are your classes doing like how how did you um like i mean since dancing has been like it seems like it's been a part of your life like throughout your life um Mm -hmm. did you know that that's something that you'd want to do um like after college
0: yeah um for sure I think what's interesting and I'm really glad that this culture is changing but just uh I think particularly in classical ballet not quite as much in more like uh modern dance or kind of more contemporary styles or even other forms of dance that are uh w- like coming from different parts of the world besides like France <laughs> um <laughs> there isn't i don't think quite as much of an emphasis that on the age you are when you begin your career but i feel like a lot of the mm. training that i had early on that kind of uh informed my my um mentality surrounding like how i should approach my career really encouraged dancers who considered themselves quote unquote serious to
1: mm. begin
0: dancing essentially as soon as you got a contract and to aim to get a contract by like around 18. So a lot of the mm. people that I uh, trained with who were really, really serious about their career didn't go to college. That wasn't part of like, mm. no one really uh, supported that as a goal. If they saw you as someone mm. who had promise or talent, they, kind of encourage Mm -hmm. you to go for a professional contract as soon as possible. So I think some of the people that I encountered in my training, who were very, very serious started dancing when they're like 16, um, Mm -hmm. professionally issued college, some of them are maybe now in college as like 33 year olds, but they had their professional career starting at 16, 17, 18, and just danced through those um, years. And so I think, I I, I was kind of in the situation where I really, really wanted to succeed to the highest level possible. And so mm-hmm. I saw that set forward as an example, like you have to begin your career as young as possible, honestly. And there, I have mixed feelings about it now that I'm older. I know some of it just has to do with the fact that um, injury is kind of this constant uh, threat. And so... Mm-hmm the younger you are in a way, the more physically resilient you are. So like, yes, okay, mm-hmm. I, I broke my leg last year, but it'll heal. If you're 18, mm-hmm. that might be a little bit less of a doomsday kind of thing than yeah. if you're 35. And so I think the idea of beginning your career young, while in certain ways, I think is very limiting for the actual people who have to experience that, it makes sense from the perspective of the, the people running the company that they want Um, to get like the maximum amount of years out of a dancer. So Mm -hmm. there's that. Um, So when I did end up going to college, there was a part of me that was like, oh, this is a failure. I'm failing by going to college, which is so Mm -hmm. sad and so kind of um, unfortunate. And I didn't like really in like the depths of my soul believe that, but I think I'd just been in so many spaces where the, the idea of success did not include college at 18. Um, And I had Mm. been offered a contract in a kind of like confusing way, but I could have um, just danced professionally at that age. Um, So Mm. in a way, I just was trying to get through college. Although I was really privileged to have a wonderful college experience, it was the best educational experience I had Mm. up to that point. And I still look back on
2: Mm.
0: uh, that opportunity kind of like shocked that I had it. Um, But I definitely entered college with this so like I need to get through this so I can go and dance. Like it was almost like this is an interruption to what I think of as my life. <laughs> um and so there was no question that I wanted to dance afterwards just because I had kind of dedicated my entire being to being a dancer and so it wasn't um it was like non negotiable. It's like I'm gonna make this happen. Um I'm really, really glad though that I I did go to college and I went to a college where you couldn't um, major in dance not that I would want to because I kind of wanted a, <laughs> I wanted a degree that would um, expand and diversify my skills and my mentality and not just kind of like continually hone in on what I already had uh spent my life doing um
2: right
0: but yeah I, I definitely there's no question I was like yeah I, I want to dance so um so yeah, so it's, it's everyone ends up kind of going on their own path. I ran into a lot of people in college who also uh, were really serious about dance. But, you know, um, like me, I mean, I was also very serious about academics, wanted to get a, a degree. And so that was also really encouraging to have that community of like-minded people because i never quite had that when I was in training of people who were like very, or at least I'm sure there were people around me, but I didn't connect with them. I didn't meet them. Who were really really like yeah like I love to dance if this happens great but I also like want to get a solid education and push myself as much as I can academically um so I'd always felt a bit isolated in that um regard so it was nice to have that community of people who kind of walked a similar path to me by the time I got to school to college that is mm. I'm sorry I got really off
2: topic mm. <laughs> no no not at all <laughs> not oh. at all I'm just like yes it's so interesting um what did you what did you major in?
0: I ended up majoring in um, social anthropology. I knew um in school I was really some of the like the the subjects that I was the most engaged by were um, you know the sciences and uh, humanities. So I was like, you know, oh. I don't necessarily want to have to kind of like split my interests. and so I found this um, department called the history of science mm. that I thought was really fascinating. Cause you took history classes, you took science like lab oriented classes, and then you also took classes that were literally about the history of the development of science. And I was mm. like, okay, this is really cool. Mm-hmm. This really speaks to kind of who I see myself as, as an academic person, like being, you know? And so mm-hmm. I was really interested in that department. I took a few classes in the department and, um, enjoyed them I took a class that was about the history of psychiatry and psychology that I found really fascinating just because it really dealt with the historical treatment from like before the common era of people who have um you know mental illness or even just are Mm -hmm. on a spectrum that that differs from what's considered um kind of cognitively average Mm -hmm. and just you know there's such a it's still I feel like a really under misunderstood kind of aspect of of um human biology is like the brain mm-hmm. and so i think that it's just really interesting to see how cultures across time and and space dealt with mental illness and it really differs some of it's really horrifying mm. but it just it was it was really interesting in terms of understanding um how we've defined science as a species mm. for 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 centuries and some of it really is bordering on kind of like what looks like what we would consider like using magic talismans or like, doing things mm-hmm. that kind of feel like, Oh, this, how is this, how would this work? But it then makes me reflect on like, you know, we look, we'll look at what we're doing 500 years from now and be like, Oh my gosh, why were we doing this mm-hmm. to ourselves and to each other? So I found that class really interesting. I took another class in the department and I didn't find it quite as interesting. <laughs> it was basically like a survey of all of these, uh, major scientific discoveries largely sci- that, like that were uh, kind of largely linked to European men and I just kind of felt mm-hmm. like yes I know that there are a lot of brilliant scientists coming out of Europe but
2: mm-hmm. you cannot
0: convince me that's the only place where scientific innovation right um emerged from and so I was really frustrated by that as a black mm-hmm. woman you know coming mm-hmm. from Berkeley um mm-hmm. just that I was like you know like I'm aware that there are all of these ways of thinking that could be considered scientific innovation happening all over the mm-hmm. world. And it mm-hmm. really annoys and frustrates me that we're still being taught to laud and revere only these few people in this very narrow context. So I was already like mm-hmm. not feeling this class. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so there was
0: that moment where I was just like, I'm going to like take this class. I'm going to try to take it seriously, but I'm already like my nerves are feeling yeah. something, you know? Yeah. And, and then, um, I just remember also the professor had this, this tone of voice that was really, really, it came across as very arrogant and I was like, oh gosh, like mm. I can't listen to his voice, which can't, <laughs> you know, like that, that can't be the reason I don't take the class, but it like didn't help. And then I just remember growing up again, growing up in Berkeley. Also, my mom, um, is an anthropologist and she did a lot of work with, um, a group of people in, um, Belize called the Griffina. She really taught me to really kind of um, examine any form of history with a very critical eye and say, like, look, whoever is telling you this is, you know, this is political. There's a certain aspect of this that's propaganda because there are always mm-hmm. going to be other aspects of the story, like the amount of people involved who are actually mm-hmm. represented in a historical moment is always going to be just a fraction of what's actually reflected. Mm-hmm. So... I think Mm -hmm. having that mentality going into that class, I just was like not ready for (laughs) how um, what felt like regressive and Eurocentric it was. And so that just was like Mm -hmm. a a question mark. And I just remember looking um, or sorry, coming to a class on what will always be for me Indigenous Peoples Day. Only recently has that become more widespread as a kind of way to approach Mm -hmm. um, Columbus Day. But you know, I went to school in the Boston area, much more conservative generally than the bay area and so it's still considered columbus day in my heart i was like it's indigenous people's day i had my indigenous people's day Mm -hmm. shirt on on all my things and Mm -hmm. i just remember (laughs) that it was a teaching fellow who was who was leading the the discussion that day and she basically kind of was like oh poor columbus he got lost and i was like you know i understand (laughs) that every every person has should be able to be redeemed but I just unfortunately will always associate Columbus with, you know, instigating a genocide, you know, and I'm just kind of like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. I can't really, I can't link his name with, with the descriptor poor. Like, I'm like, ain't nothing poor about that man. Right. He like, <laughs> he
1: all these people
0: of their wealth, right. and their livelihood, and their their actual lives. And like, no, I just cannot, I can't sit in this classroom and listen to this. So I got up and left. And I emailed the the teaching fellow and I was like, this really, I found problematic. And her response wasn't my favorite. So I left that department. I tried really hard
2: to make it work. <laughs> I tried really hard.
0: And I remember my proposal was also not taken very seriously because I was really interested in like um, neurobiology and biochemistry. And I wanted to do research on the actual physical effect of racism on the brain, which people currently are involved in that type Mm -hmm. of research but I remember getting this feedback of kind of like oh like we don't really have a precedent for that like I don't know what we're gonna do and so I just knew I was like okay this is not the space for me there are a lot of things here Mm -hmm. that have the potential to to work in Mm -hmm. theory but like in practice this is not a space for me it does not actually feel like um I am being Mm -hmm. taken Mm -hmm. seriously or like my experience as a human being is really being honored because I'm here trying to learn about things that I think affect a lot of people. And yet I'm just learning about Copernicus, like don't need to, sorry, Copernicus. And so, so I moved over to social anthropology because it just felt like a space where we were trying to learn about the experiences of, of a a wide swath of people, including people of color, you know, and like honoring the, the, uh, traditions of a variety of people and their, and kind of, uh, lionizing their knowledge as as legitimate and so i think that was really what i was seeking in that history of uh, mm-hmm. science department they just weren't ready to do that sadly i mean it granted i i graduated mm-hmm, from
2: mm-hmm. college yeah
0: 11 years ago but still i'm just like it's very disappointing so i i moved because of moved over to the um anthropology department just because yeah. it felt a little bit more politically aligned with the type of work I wanted to do and ultimately I'm really really glad that I did but I tried mm-hmm. really hard not to study anthropology because my mom was an anthropologist and I was like I don't <laughs> want to seem like a copycat I am so long-winded Amaya I'm gonna oh, stop no I no, like... <laughs> I really want to hear
2: about that concludes part one of a conversation between Coral Martin and Amaya Harrison Part two will be available next week on the same platform you're listening now. Bring Your Full Self is put together through the collective effort of the members of Converge Collaborative. A special thanks today to Coral and Amaya and to you for listening. If you're interested in learning more about our group, our work, or would just like to say hi, you can reach us by emailing converge at convergecollaborative.com or on Instagram at convergecollaborative.